there, this is Transfers Uncovered, a new football podcast during January 2019 with me, Simon Watts, and my two guests, industry experts, Brian Howard, who some of you might remember as the captain of Barnsley, who once upon a time scored the winning goal in stoppage time at Anfield in an FA Cup tie some 11 years ago this coming February, and Phil Corklin, who, like me, probably dreamt of scoring a winning goal at Anfield many times before and other such venues. We're going to be exploring how transfer deals are done and how the transfer window really works. Both of these guys run Momentum Sports Management who look after a roster of players from the Premier League right down to non-league, the Scottish Prem and beyond. They've got extensive contacts in the game and ear to the ground and they've been involved in many, many transfer deals over recent years. The podcast is a three-part mini-series. This is part one available on iTunes and SoundCloud and please give us a follow as well on Twitter at TransfersPod if you can retweet and drum up a bit of interest that would be absolutely fantastic so let's crack on then with episode one Phil Bryant, thank you for joining us for the podcast today. At the time of recording this, we're about halfway nearly into the transfer window. I know, Brian, you said this morning you had about 11 missed calls already when you woke up today. Is it The life of an agent really is as mad as we all imagine it to be. Yeah, it's a real strange window, the January one. Um, we were almost saying it's almost not a panic window, but you know, there's so you know, many clubs are in between and... Um, yeah, a lot going on. You miss one call, and you know you have voicemails. You're on another call. You miss two more, um, and that's why it just flashed up on my phone there as we were doing this. I've got yeah, eleven missed calls. So once we finish this, got a busy afternoon ahead. You guys deal with players from sort of the top flight all the way down, really, don't you? I mean, how how do you come and feel about sort of recruiting players first of all? It's more about the quality of the player than the level. So if you feel that you can add value to someone's career, you feel that you can help them progress doesn't matter whether it's from club to club or you can help them progress within their own club but if you feel you can add value to their career then it's just a basic opinion on whether we like a player and and whether we feel we can help them. How did you get into the sports agency or or sports management I guess you guys prefer to call it don't you? Uh, So my dad's an accountant Um, when I was growing up um, he looked after a lot of Millwall players in the late 1980s Uh, went to the old den um, I thought that every football stadium in the country had fences around the pitch and no women's toilets. And from four years old, I used to go and just hang out with the players, really. Um, Teddy Sherring when he was 19, Terry Herlock, uh, Les Briley was the captain. Um, Les was the, has been labelled by George Graham as his best ever signing, uh, value for money-wise. Um, so they were all, all good family friends of ours. Um, and I just grew up seeing the, the pastoral care, really, for players off the field. Um, and for me, that was always something I was always interested in. And then set up an agency when I, I left university and 12 years later kind of progressed here to have Momentum Sports Management with Brian. Well, if you can deal with Terry Herlock at a young age, then you're kind of well set to dealing with footballers in the future, are you? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Brian, your route, people listening obviously know you as a, an ex-player as well. Your route into sports management came, what, I met you a couple of years ago when you were just sort of um, taking your first steps into it, really. Yeah, it was just something I always kept an eye on and... Whenever I was doing a contract for myself, um, I was always wanting to be involved. I was always eager to learn. Um, I was lucky that you know most dressing rooms I was in, I was always a captain, and maybe the younger players always used to ask for advice, and um, I always tried to give them his honest advice and help them out as much as possible, and kind of steer them in the way he needed to go. And um, always one that thought well, I actually quite like that managing the players. And a few players said, "Oh, you should be an agent when you finish. I'll come and you know sign with you. You've helped me out." So 
it's always that that all coaching. Um, obviously, then maybe a bit of media stuff as well. But I kind of thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the agency. Um, and like you said, from a couple of years ago, when, I, when I've met you, it's really grown. And I met Phil working at another agency. We've set up our own in Momentum, and you know we've really taken massive strides forward. I think in the last year, and you know really think we've added a lot of benefit to a lot of people's careers. And as a player, uh, I mean, you're quite modest about it. I know when I talked to you, but you had a good career, didn't you? I mean, championship level, scored the winning goal at Anfield, which I know probably people always remember you for, but you played a lot of other games as well. <laughs> yeah, that gets mentioned a lot. Um, yeah, you know, I look back and Phil always tells me, I said, you know, should pick yourself up a bit more. Um, it was a good career. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Uh, like everyone, I met every pro, ex-pro that sat here, you know, probably should have done better, different, different things. But from those experiences, then... Hopefully, I can pass that on and and help um, you know younger players have you know a, a career that they can be proud of. So agency work then is it something of a myth that agents earn shed loads of money and as soon as the August transfer window closes, you're off to the Bahamas for four months until January until it all starts again. It's definitely a myth. I think uh, it's it's an all year round job. Um, depending on what time of the year it is, you're just doing different things. So. It could be leading up to the January transfer window is also the tax return year uh, period of the year. So you've got to make sure that players are doing their tax returns because although they're paid PAYE at a football club, there's other things that they earn, um, which called a benefit in kind, a P11D, um, that some agents might look not look after. But we know that from that perspective, the players need to be paying their extra tax. So we've got to make sure they're doing that as well. Um, and then from a transfer window perspective, you're looking at, what teams are going to be looking for, what they're going to be recruiting um, from window to window, their cycles. They might say that they've got a 30-year-old player who's a centre-forward. He's got one year left on his contract. They don't want to replace him now, but they are looking to replace him maybe in six months to a year's time. So they're looking cyclically, really, to make sure that they've got someone lined up for when his contract finishes. So you've always got to work with clubs to make sure that if you've got a player that's got 18 months left on his contract, he might have six months left by the time that 30-year-old leaves and then you can then put deals in place really i mean this is a thing isn't it that i've noticed you know speaking with with agents in the past and that is it you're not just there to do a transfer deal you you're people who look after the welfare of players you deal with with parents the football clubs you you know it's, it's a whole kind of care package often yeah i think so and yes through my playing career and now seeing this side of it different players want you know looking after in different ways some people just say look just do my deal for me that that's all i want and then you just go from deal to deal. Other players want day-to-day care. Like I said, there's a lot of players that have now off-the-pitch stuff, um, especially at the higher levels. There's a lot of you know, media stuff, sponsorship stuff. So you just got to need... It's, it is an all-year round looking after. And you know, once the transfer window shuts, we're already looking into the summer window. So this is January and now. We've now got a lot of players that come out of contract in, in the summer. So once this window shuts, we've then got to then look, right, are these going to be kept at their clubs? Talk to their current club, say, right, are they in your plans for next year? Are they getting a new deal? Or then we need to find you know, a new home for them in the summer. I want to talk to you about that in a minute, actually, because I find that you know, the whole concept of working window to window really interesting, particularly in such a sort of, it's such a transient business, isn't it? You could be dealing with you know, one manager in January setting up a deal for a player later in the year and you know, that manager's gone a month or so later. But I kind of just want to go back to the beginning, first of all, and uh, I sort of feel a very, a very basic question, I suppose, you know, how a transfer deal actually works, which I suppose is a, a very open question because they're all very complicated in in every way but I mean to start with does a player come to you and say they want to move I don't know hypothetically to Northampton Town or something or the clubs approach you with a list of, of targets and and come to you and say we want this particular player so I think it can work in many different ways I think 
if you've got a manager that might have a previous relationship with a player, you might know that he wants him if he's managed him before. So you'd kind of miss out a few steps in that process. You might have another one where um, what we have to do from window to window is to make sure we know all the requirements of the clubs to make sure that we know whether they're looking for a goalkeeper, a fullback, a centre forward, then how much money they're looking to spend on each position. Um, and then from that, you can then work out, you match that with your client list uh, to make sure you're then fulfilling your job in terms of making sure you're putting your player forward to these different clubs. And then if they're monitoring them and they're interested, then they might let you know if they're scouting them. And if they're interested and they want to do something, then you have to put the, you know, make sure the clubs are then speaking to make sure that, you know, if they do want to sign them, then there's a, a dialogue that's done in the right way as well. The players have much saying that as well. To some of your your lads, you got say, you know, I'd, ideally, I'd really like to go to X club or Y club. Yeah, a lot say that, and we say, oh, ideally, I'd like you to go there too. <laughs> um, but it's trying to make it happen. Um, obviously, you have players that then fall in and out of favour with managers. Um, that say, well, yeah, I need to be playing football, I'd rather move. Managers that say, no, it's still part of my plans. Um, so there's lots of different dynamics in a in a transfer or, or a wanted transfer on all different sides. Or, you know, someone might be in the team, fall out of the team, and the manager say, that's him done with me, that's his last chance, I, I want him out, Get find him a new club. So it, it does change so quickly. I think that's one thing that we not struggle with, it's something that we have when, when people we look after or family members speak to us, uh, especially when people work in different businesses try to figure out how football works and it really is a one-off industry that can change overnight or can take five or six weeks to do something that in a normal business would be done in a day yeah speaking myself as an Oxford supporter like we desperately need a striker at the minute and one thing at this stage probably when this goes out hopefully we sign one but yeah fans are saying why haven't we got somebody in we needed a striker from October why is somebody not signed for us you know on the 2nd of January when the window reopens but I suppose it's not that easy, I don't know, or is it? <laughs> no, I think it's... What clubs will have is they'll have criteria of what they want. So some clubs now are looking to, to sign younger players in order to build assets for their own club to then sell on. So they might, although people might look at the top scorers list and say, there's 10 players in the top scorers, why don't we sign one of these? Out of those top 10, one might be 35 and he's retiring, like a Jamie Curitan was always up there for a very long time. But if you're going to sign someone as an asset to sell them on, you're not going to sign Jamie Curitan. Um, so... It's very much looking at people's criteria. So from a list of 10, if you look at ages, what people are earning, uh, maybe geographical locations as well, you might whittle that list down and only end up with maybe two that you can have on your list you can realistically get. And from then, you still have to try and sign them as a football club as well. So it's, it's a very difficult thing. And someone said to me recently that I thought was quite funny was, you look at January as a four-week window, and you've got the summer window, which is four months from May, June, July and August. So each week of the January window, you could look at, a different month so everything happens so so quickly compared to the summer where people think well we can do that tomorrow there's no rush in the January window it is very much things have to get done today you can't put them off till tomorrow I think with the summer window as well like you said it's four months but everyone's glued to their TV on deadline day everything happens on deadline day or yeah. on the last couple of days so then you can pack that all into January and then how much will happen in the, in the last week and like I said everyone has is spinning plates always spinning plates they have their one, number one target, number two target, number three. And clubs that are at a similar level will have the same targets. So then they've got to be you know, spinning all three of those plates. And it comes down to it. And it's, oh, maybe we could get someone that we would prefer. But if not, we need to be keeping our eyes on this one. We might not get that one. So maybe the third one. So then it comes down to the last few days when people make the decisions. You've then got to be ready to, to hit the button on which one you want to go for. If you know a club is desperate for a player in a certain position... From an agent's perspective, particularly if you're looking after a striker, and I don't think I've heard a manager this January say they don't need a striker. Everyone says they do. 
I suppose you're going to hold off, aren't you? You're going to wait until you get, you know, you know there's always going to be interest or is that a dangerous game to play? I think it's a bit of a dangerous game. Um, if the deal's right and the player's happy, um, I think you can get the deal done. Uh, you can always say if, buts, maybes and hang on, but I think that, especially at this time of the season, if there's a deal to be done and you're happy with it, get in there, get in there early and get settled, get playing, because if you hang on, hang on, and you go, oh, I could have got this and you aren't quite happy, you then settle in, it's the end of January, straight into February, and then you've only got you know the three months left of the season to settle and you need to hit the ground running, especially as a striker. You know, it's like you need to be hitting form, you're expected to, to score goals from day dot. Mm. And I think also the, the difficulties with the January window is that, like Brian said, people in football, everyone always goes, oh, I'll go on a six-month loan. So if, if it's from the summer, it's till January and they call it six months. And then in January, again, they go, oh, I'm going on a six-month loan. But actually, it's not. It's three months and you need to go somewhere else. You're relocating. You need to settle into the team, settle into a different environment, different teammates. And things need to be done very quickly. And if you're looking for a striker in January, what are you looking for? You're looking for someone to either score your goals to keep you up or you're looking for someone to score your goals to get you promoted. Either way, people want results very quickly. So it's a, again, it, it needs to be the right fit. And if someone's looking for a move in January, they're probably also looking for a move in the summer. So you need to make sure that another football coach told me recently, we were talking about different players and sometimes the best thing a player can do on a pitch is stand still. So if you look at Aguero's movement, sometimes the best movement he does in the box is by not moving at all. So in football with transfers, it's the same kind of thing. If you move, but it's actually a knee jerk move and you move too quickly, you're stuck somewhere and someone looks at your CV and says, well, you moved in January and you didn't play for three, four months. We're not interested in you in the summer. Whereas actually, if you've just stayed where you are and you haven't moved, they might say, oh, why didn't you move? And you might say, well, he was out of favour or the manager didn't like him, whatever. But that's an easier thing than in football. People always look for reasons not to sign a player. So you're giving them another reason not to sign him. So it's always we have to make sure it's either the right move or the wrong move. We can only advise the player has to make the final decision of whether he wants to go there. But we can use a lot of previous experience to... Maybe the personality of the manager, whether he changes the team all the time, whether he likes a settled side. You can lots of, look at lots of different things and work out whether it's right for the player. I think you summed it up there with like the knee jerk, especially <coughs> in January. You know, the amount of messages or calls we might get on a Saturday afternoon after a game. It's like, uh, oh, the manager took me off again, get me out, I want to move. Or I've not come off the bench or the manager said this to me, I need to move. Or actually, one thing that does happen in football, it changes quickly. And there's always another game two, three days down the line, a week down the line. Injury, suspensions. So again, with, with this window, there's almost always only a, a certain amount of clubs that fit the criteria of where you could go to. Where the summer window, there's there's more options. So you say, well, look, like I said, there is only just three months. Get your head down, work hard, get back in the team. If you're not, then there's a summer window where there's more options rather than rushing through something now and then you you move someone and you don't play again. You can't then move in the summer. So you go, well, he's been there and not played. He's been there and not played. And then just from that knee-jerk reaction, you're then one step back. I suppose the other thing as well. In the January transfer window, a lot of players are going to be out of contracts in the summer. And that, from a player's perspective, well, if you're playing well anyway, could put you in a much stronger position when there's no transfer fee involved to, to get another club. On the flip side, you're going into a, a saturated market of like 800 out-of-contract players every summer, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, if you're, you've got a player who's out of contract in the summer, are you inclined to just still get a deal done as quickly as you can? Or would you get them to hold out? I think we've got to judge it and get ahead of the curve, and that's, uh, this is our job, and that's why it's, uh, it's almost it's an all-year-round all job. Where as soon as January f finishes, you know, after a week or two in February, we're then right. What's happening in the summer? Because we've got to get ahead of the game that we've got players out of contract in the summer. We can't have it get to you know pre-season and these boys not having a job. So we need to know before the season finishes who needs what and and where we can position our players. 
and if it's right to stay at the club and sign a new contract or if it's right to say actually a club wanted you in January but didn't want to pay X amount transfer fee but in the summer you're on a free transfer or you're under 24 and it'd be smaller compensation then the club will take you in the summer but not now so it's just trying to to gauge it from that perspective and, and kind of get the best option for the player and I also I'd, I'd say that one of the difficult things in we find in football is that we are in a very fortunate position that we we are in the on the inside and we understand um, the mechanics of it and, and what makes things work but it is still a job for people so as much as what I was surprised when I became an agent was some people don't like football they might play football but they might not love football so for them it's very much a job you might have other people who are obsessed as I am in terms of statistics and knowing absolutely everything about every single team what their sponsor was 90 in like in the 1990s or whatever it is you just know that knowledge but for some people it is just a job and for them you need to make sure you're doing the best you can to help them provide for their family so just like anyone in any job if you're asked to relocate halfway across the country but you might have to take a drop in wages but you've got a wife and you've got two kids in school you might be taking a big hit financially so it has to be right for them for the whole family not just he want he's going to go and put on a different shirt for another football team it's very different and it's a lot more in depth and we have to take a lot of things into consideration that Sometimes it's difficult for us to accept because you work very hard to find options for players, but it's not our life, it's theirs. So as I go back, we are an advisor, so we, we do what we can. Our job is to find options for players, but it's up to them to decide what's best for their life and we just have to take their lead with it, really. I think at the end of the day, you look at it and go, actually, they employ us. They employ us to, to do a job. So we, like, we can advise them as much as possible, but we can't tell them what to do. It's At the end of the day, if they say, I'm not doing it and I want this, we've got to do it for them. I suppose it's tough when you get older as well, isn't it? I know some players, you know, once you get into your late 20s, early 30s, the contracts start getting shorter. If you've got a family, you know, you're based in London and you only get a contract offer from Grimsby, you've got to go and live in a hotel for a year or whatever. I mean, I mean, you moved abroad, didn't you, Brian, at one point? Yeah, I moved abroad. I was promised some uh, some good money that I eventually never got. So like um, Bulgaria, was it? Yeah, yeah, ended up out there. And, you know, I got to the age where I, I did want to experience something different. You know, I was 31. Um, I was never the quickest anyway, and I started to slow down a bit more at 31. I thought, try a bit of uh, foreign football, it's a bit slow, a bit more technical, I thought it would suit me perfect. Um, and try a different culture and just learn new things. And, and I did, you know, I met an Italian fitness coach out there, it was great, and I wish I met him at 21 because I learned so much new things. And he's still a friend now, he was messaging me last night. So there was good experiences, and even more that I can now take into to this side of it. Um, but then, like I said, the contracts got, got shorter, uh, the money got less. And you think, well, hang on a minute, I, I was this good so many years ago, I don't feel I've changed. But you have, so I think mentally as well for players to understand that. And then I came back from Bulgaria and I did get offered contracts to move back up north. But as you know, my fa my family settled down south. And it's similar feels saying that actually I'd have been out of pocket to move back up north to play football, where if I stayed down south, you know, uh, you know, may, might have earned less money, and but... I had my house down here. I would have had to rent a house up north. I would have had to have living costs, and it just made sense to stay down south. Obviously, hindsight, I probably wish I did sign back up north, but again, that's an experience that then I can pass on to other players. Is that what, generally how it works then? If you're a player, you move up north or whatever, you have to pay for your accommodation. You know, if you're living in, in a dig or do the club play for your flat or whatever. So I think it very much depends on the type of deal. So if you go on loan, um, normally a club will have to pay for your, your accommodation while you're on loan. Um, if you move on a permanent, they will then, depending on the the budget of the club, but in any in any walk of life, if you relocate for work purposes, the the business can pay 
um, government guidelines of £8,000 relocation, which is tax-free. So you could use that on stamp duty, you can use it for anything that you can't physically move. So there's guidelines on that. You get that in football as well. So most clubs will give up to £8,000 relocation, but that's always a, a nice bargaining tool to get a little bit extra for, for a player to be able to relocate. But then they have to then, they can't use that for rent, so they either have to use it for a hotel or they use it to, if they go and buy a house, then they can use that money to do up the house or use it for stamp duty. So sometimes actually it might be more beneficial for a player to go on loan. If they've got a year left on their contract, maybe it's better for them to go on loan. They're still earning the same money that they're earning from their parent club, but then the club that they go on loan to will put them up in a hotel or a rented flat, and then they're able to maybe, maybe it's more financially viable for them. Yeah, I remember a player telling me once, without naming names, like he'd been frozen out at his particular club at the time, so he knew he wasn't going to be there for very much longer. And I think his family were based on the other side of the country. And basically, so he ended up sort of renting a dig with a student because it's like you, you either get a six-month or 12-month rental. You don't really get many rentals unless it's like a student property that you can just kind of pay on a month-by-month basis. Yeah. So he kind of lived in a student dig and this is like a professional footballer. Yeah. But I guess these are the kind of things that happen as well because you're moving around so much definitely and I think it's hard you can't just go and get a break clause in a contract or you know at the end of the day it's the real world so if someone owns a property and they want to rent it out they can't afford to just let someone move out so again when, when we go back to what else we do we have to help players advise them in terms of if they're going to move but they haven't got a break clause in their contract we then say look negotiate with the landlord or we can help negotiate with the landlord to you're going to have to still pay while it's not being rented out but get them to put it back out to advertise and if you can get someone else to take over your rental then you can then give up the rental so there's so many little different things that again to see a player run out on a football field and score a goal in front of 20,000 people there's that's like a very small percentage of actually what happens in their day-to-day life and also for us, that's probably the, the nicest, most re- refreshing thing is seeing someone run out and go and score a goal because you know that we've all done a, a hell of a lot in order to help them get out there to be able to go out and play as stress-free as possible. And I guess that's the sort of realities of football. I, I, I love lower league football myself. and But at that level, you know, particularly talking about the age thing, when you don't become an asset, there's kind of a, a very quick switch, isn't there, from, I don't know, what would you say, about the age of 27, 28, where clubs will look at you in a very different sort of light almost. Yeah, because now it's a business. Football's a business now. So people are looking at it and saying, we need to make money back on the players. So we want to buy a player. If we're going to spend a fee on a player, we need to recoup that fee rather than saying, we're going to spend this money to get the best player we can to make our football club better. So, for example, you know, if if we had a player in in their late 20s, early 30s that was in great form, but for someone to then come and spend the money on him uh, and pay their wages, they don't see any return on that other than what he's on in the pitch where it used to be, we're buying a good player because they're going to get a great player on the pitch but now they're seeing the, the business return on it because they said football's a business and all these business owners are buying football clubs to see obviously to try and make some money and in terms of that I mean you develop personal relationships with these guys I guess you're friends with them as well as you know managing them but I guess there must come a point where you almost have to have an awkward conversation where I don't know, maybe their expectation levels are greater than the kind of offers out there. And, you know, when you're getting into a certain stage of your career where the offers stop coming in, mm. have you ever had that where you've had to sit down with someone and almost say, you know, listen, mate, I think, you know, you need to start thinking about life after football now. You can use the phrase that some agents don't want to give their players bad news because they feel that then they're the kind of, you're the messenger that's getting shot as such. But I think if you're... Depends what angle you come from when you do the job. For me, my wife always says the reason I did this job is because I want to help people and add value to their to their lives and, and have those personal relationships with them. It's not 
purely a financial thing. If it was, I probably wouldn't do the job. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily carried on and tried to plough through for as long as I did. And I've been doing it for 12 years and I'm very fortunate now. But I think you have to be able to sit down with people and discuss things like, can you afford the mortgage payments that you've got on your house because you bought it when you were earning ten, twenty thousand pound a week and now you might only be on two or three? Or actually were they clever enough with their financial advisors previously to make sure that they front loaded their mortgage payments to pay off their house and now what they're earning is pocket money or just going into their savings. So there's different ways of doing things, but I think I I would hope that people that, that work with us players would probably I would hope would say so as well, that we're only ever giving them honest honest information and feedback so therefore they can always plan for the future because they know where they're going to be ending up whereas some people might keep saying no no you're going to be okay in six months time you're still going to get an offer on five ten grand a week and it gets to that point and they're only getting offers on one or two thousand pounds a week and all of a sudden their expectations are are completely off kilter and they might have taken a new mortgage out six months ago at a different level so it's it's very much about managing expectations but being very true to to what people need to hear in order to help them progress as much as possible. I think if you don't, if you're not honest with them, and you don't tell them the honest truth of what's out there. It's only going to hurt yourself and then the player, because then the player's going to be expecting certain things, putting you under pressure. You're going to feel under pressure. You end up not doing your job properly. You end up then probably losing the client. You'll probably end up then having a bad reputation or lose you more clients. Because uh, football's a real small world, everyone talks, everyone knows each other. So, I think you've got to be honest from day dot. And the player might not like it. You might not like the reaction you get from the player. But this is the industry we're in. It's probably one of the most cutthroat industries in the world, which is, which is why obviously people get paid the money they do as a player, um, and they want to do it. But it's yes, it's the way you have got to be honest with all the players. What about your first deal? Can you remember the first deal that you did? I mean, it must be pretty nerve wracking sitting there in front of a chief executive or a manager. You know, getting it over the line. I think my first deal I did was a loan move from a player from the Premier League into League One. Um, he did really well. Um, I didn't get paid on it because that was the one thing I actually didn't know how to do. So we took a player, he went on a season-long loan, his team won the league and got promoted and I was really happy because we did it from a, a reputation point of view. You know, We were able to get that deal over the line. We didn't get paid because that was the one thing we weren't really <laughs> sure how to do it. So each time you do a deal, you learn. Um, I then took Theo Robinson um, on... Loan to South End, he did very well. He nearly went to Peterborough um, from Watford, um, but they had Craig McHale Smith and Nara McLean up front. He said, "Oh, I think I can potentially, you know, replace them or you know have competition with them." My thought was, "You're going on loan to go and score goals and play games. You don't want to go somewhere where you've got a settled strike force and they want to sell them for a lot of money." So he ended up going to South End and scored a lot of goals in half a season. That propelled him to get a move to to Huddersfield um, with Lee Clark when they had Jordan Rhodes and Lee Novak, and they had a really good, strong Huddersfield side. And um, that was probably my one of my first proper deals that I did, and I'll always remember that just because of the, the trials and tribulations you go through. Um, but it was always one that I hold dear to me because it was one that you feel you work very, very hard for these things, and and you you build those relationships up with the directors of football. Um, you then meet different agents when you're doing deals because other agents might be working on behalf of clubs or other players that they need you to move your player in order for them to get their player in. So there's a lot of kind of wheeling and dealing and, and networking that. If you've got enough relationships with people, you can kind of get inside information in order to help benefit everyone's players, really, as well. What about yours, Brian? Uh, yeah, like I said, same as Phil, really. I've done a few that were kind of deals with young players on loan and kind of learning learning the market, learning how to talk to clubs, learning how to put a deal together. And the first kind of structured deal that I've done that I earned money from 
It was um, it, it was a nice one because it was actually for it was for Lewis Price, uh, brother of Moon Price. He was a couple of years below me in the youth team at Saints, right. um, and always got on well with him, and so known him for the best part of twenty years. So it was then you know producing a deal that was at his age was great for him and his family, um, you know both settled wise and financially wise, and then you know first deal that is effectively my first you know, paid deal as an agent. Um, it's just like it was a nice moment to to have that with someone that's close to you. And it becomes more about your relationship rather than about the money. And it's, it's nice to do something for someone you've known for so long and, and know that you've done your job right. Absolutely. And can managers get quite aggressive sometimes <laughs> when things aren't good? Brian's already laughing at that. So I think the answer might be, yeah, because obviously they're under a lot of pressure as well. Can can that be, that be quite difficult? One of the mistakes I made actually was with Theo because um, when Theo was at Huddersfield, they ended up having five strikers and they had a, probably a strike force that championship teams would be jealous of. And... Uh, they were in League One. Um, I knew that Millwall were quite interested in, in Theo. He was in League One. Millwall were in the Championship. And um, being quite a, a naive football agent, um, I had what I thought was an off-the-record chat with a local newspaper in South London. And uh, I said how much I had, how much respect I had for Kenny Jackett, who was the Millwall manager. And uh, However, I carried on saying that at the end of the day, Theo's still a Huddersfield player. And it's up to Lee Clark, who was the manager at the time, to decide as and when he wants to do anything with his players. Um, on the Friday morning, I got a massive angry phone call from Lee Clark because the local football journalist decided to edit out the bit I said about Lee Clark. So it just said <laughs> how much respect I had for Millwall's manager and that maybe if Theo went there, he'd do well. Um, so that was the last time I ever spoke to a local football journalist to, wow. to kind of say anything because I realised you just can't... Whatever you say gets twisted and, and whatever the players say gets twisted. And um, For me, it was a big learning curve because... Really, from then on, we just do our business and we get on with it. And, and if the if the press find out about it, we know that it's not from us. The clubs know it's not from us. And I think at the end of the day, we've just got to get on and do our business and, and kind of let the the whirlwind of football kind of take care of itself. It's interesting you say that, though, because I obviously work on the other side of it. And, you know, a lot of agents do obviously filter information through, you know, they, they try, I suppose, use that as leverage through, through the media and what have you. But... I don't know if that's probably frowned upon, is it, by some managers, or do they sort of see it as all part of the dance as well? No, I don't think they like it. Um, I mean, to be fair, I didn't like it as a player. You know, there, there was one stage in my career and I was getting linked with people left, right and centre. Um, and so all, all I'd do after training was get pulled in the manager's office and said, what's your agent doing? What's this club? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll be then on my phone to my agent and it would just cause a lot of problems. I just wanted to play football. If, if a club wanted to sign me, they knew who to talk to, knew who my agent was. They knew where the club was to speak to them. Um, and I think a lot of agents now, you know, or well, some agents put stuff in the press to try and put pressure on either the club they're at or to draw up interest in the player. But all it does is actually, I think, devalue the player. Um, and it annoys the, the clubs they, they're linking with because then they know who the agent is. So, you know, they'll be shouting the phone to the agent saying, why are you linking with us? It's, it's not the right thing. And it will cause problems in the future if they try to move another client to that club. And managers and owners and chairmen, directors of football, etc. In the next pod, we'll talk a little bit about the, the recruitment departments and how that works. But are they aligned? Or can you sometimes have a conversation where like, a manager says one thing and a chairman you'll speak to 10 minutes later and he's saying something totally different? Yeah, very much so. I think it very much depends on when the manager was appointed, what staff were there already, what relationships the other staff have with the chairman, what relationship the manager has with the chairman or the director of football. Um, and then also... You might have a manager that is just working completely gung-ho on his own. He knows that if he, if he maybe says enough stuff in the press, puts enough, much, enough pressure on his man, puts enough pressure on his chairman or director of football, 
if the press and the fans start building up quite a bit, he thinks he maybe can get a player that maybe they might not necessarily have wanted to to part the money for. So you can have what we call like a manager-led club. So you can have a manager who's got very much the power. He's been successful. It doesn't matter what anyone else says there. He's the one that kind of runs the show, which I fully respect if someone's got the success. Um, however, if he were to leave the club and you don't have anyone else in place, all of a sudden you're kind of starting from scratch again as well. Really interesting stuff. In the next podcast, we're going to have a little bit um, of a look more at how recruitment departments work. And I know certainly the roles of directors of football and chief execs, etc., uh, make things very different nowadays and I'm really interested to find out how that works. Also going to have a look at the loan system which uh, is even more convoluted these days particularly with only two teams per season that clubs can play for etc and a couple of high profile cases this season in that respect as well. Um, if you're listening please follow us and get in touch on at TransfersPod on Twitter or if you want to follow Phil it's at Phil Corklin, is that right? That and is, yeah. uh, at Momentum SM for your agency. Is that you, Brian? Momentum SM behind that? Or is that's, that no, that's, that's the agency. I don't have Twitter. You myself. stay off Twitter, do you? Okay, yeah. fair enough. And, uh, and I learned my lesson with that as a player. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, and I won't ask you about that. And then myself at Cy underscore Watts. If you like what you hear, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, though, uh, leave us a review on iTunes.